as we seek your face this morning that you'll give us light uh, to the path that we have set before us for this new year. So give us eyes to see this morning and, and help us to see our light and our path in the light of you, in the light of your gospel, in the light of the one who makes all things new. And we ask, Lord, for the power that would make all things new in us this morning because we bump up against our power, powerlessness day after day. Not just to, to bec become the kind of people we want to be, but to see the kind of world we want to see. We pray for an inbreaking of your kingdom in our lives and in this world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, uh, well, we made it. We made it to the future. 2024, uh, the future has arrived. Do you remember the time when 2024 would have been, would have seemed like a distant future to you? You remember that? Back in 2000, maybe? If you were alive in 2000? What would you have imagined 2024 being like back in 2000? Or back in, what was that? Flying cars, the Jetsons, right? What a disappointment, right? <laughs> and maybe that's what we're here to talk about today, all the disappointments of, of what all we thought 2024 would be, all, the, all that we thought our world would be by this time. Uh, there was a time when 2024 was still wide open with possibilities, wasn't it? And, and the future was vast enough to fit all our manner of hopes uh, into it about ourselves, about our life, about our family, about this world. There was a time we had visions of grandeur about, about this time, this future that we've arrived in. But, but now, what has come of it? What has come of the future you'd hoped for and that you'd imagine as it has slowly whittled and narrowed its way into today, January 7th, 2024? Maybe the future has exceeded your expectations. And, and for many of us, I'm sure that it has. And maybe those expectations had led to a lot of disappointments. It's probably a both and, isn't it? There were probably many of things that we had expected that we didn't get and hadn't even known to expect that we did get. The, the abundance of blessings of life and relationship, but also there's an abundance throughout life of losses and disappointments. And uh, it's, it's a both and. But certainly you've probably been surprised along the way, haven't you? How many surprises have you seen in the last 24 years? Right, <laughs> And uh, for good or for ill, for better or for worse. And regardless of it all, um, now we're facing another year together. And, and another year that will be some mixture of the surprises of life that we should have come to learn to expect by now, I hope. Uh, but the surprises of life and what we make of it. The surprises in the mundane. Right, That's what 2024 is going to be full of. The surprises... And the mundane, all that we, we don't know to expect and a lot of things that we do expect. There will be the exceptions and the rule. The normal and the paranormal. Just kidding about that. 
Hopefully, maybe that we'll see some paranormal. I don't know. We've been seeing it in the news. I, I've been telling people. I, uh, I maybe believed in aliens till the government told me they were real, and now I'm skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it will be this same mixture. Here's the mixture of things it will be. It'll be a bunch of things you can change and you can't change. And a whole bunch of decisions as to whether you're going to focus on the one or the other, Right? And, and we will continue to form through these decisions of whether we focus on the, all the things we can't change in the world, because that actually does change something in you, you know, when you focus on all the things you can't change. You can focus on that and how that then forms your soul, or you can focus on all the things you can change uh, this year, and, and that will begin to help you form your patterns of living in the mundane and living through the surprises. Patterns of thinking, patterns of speaking, patterns of behaving, patterns of living. And these are the habits of heart and mind and life that form our soul and form our relationships and the dynamics of the relationships that we live in, in our homes and in our, our work and our communities, our neighborhoods and so on. And so... And so we're moving into this world, uh, you know, the, the, we're already a moving ship, and we already have patterns formed. We already have paths formed, and, and maybe we need to stay on those paths, and maybe we need to take a, a right turn, or, or maybe we need to turn around and do an about face. Um, it, maybe this is true in many ways, more or less, in various contexts. But regardless, we're already seven days in, so what's 2024 looking for you uh, looking like for you at this point. Maybe you already have a good idea of the kind of, of, of patterns that, that are going to be determining this next year. Uh, maybe a good indicator is how you're doing on those resolutions that David asked about. Um, but, and, and maybe you sense, maybe there are things that are falling through the cracks. I just, I have to tell you, I just got back from a cruise and, um, I went on a cruise before I was married. I've only been on two cruises in my life. I went on a cruise before I was married when I, Keldy was still my girlfriend at the time. So I was on a cruise with my girlfriend. It was with her family, but it was still fun because uh, I was with my girlfriend, you know, and uh, had stars in my eyes. And it's a different experience to go on a cruise with four kids, um, especially when one of them is called Maccabee. And you, you spend half your time looking for your kids and, and hoping that they haven't fallen overboard. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, I, oh, I know I thought of that, F things falling through the cracks. I spent the last week worried that Maccabee's going to fall through the cracks and off the boat. So that's what made me think of that. But, uh, but anyway, we, you, see the, you see the coming year and you see the things that need to be done. The things that need to be done in your home, in your life, your work, in you. Maybe things need to be done in you. Things need to be done in me for sure. Um, but regardless, I thought as the, the first Sunday in the new year, it'd be good to do something of a, let's just do something like a reorientation for life, for how we should then live, the famous question Francis Schaeffer asks in his book. How should we then live? Uh, and so we'll turn to God's word together because God's word is our true north, our true north for how to navigate life, for how to live, for how to think, for how to speak, for how to behave, for how to relate, 
how to be in relationships. God has told us, has given us instruction, has given us the grace of showing us how to live. Not only telling us, but showing us in the person of Jesus Christ and calling us to follow him, to, to learn how to exercise the kind of life and the kind of discipline that helps us be the people that we all want to be deep down. We want to be joyful and grateful and peaceful and kind and loving people, don't we? Don't we? But dang it, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard whether you have zero kids or four kids, but it's really hard when you have four kids on a cruise ship, I'll tell you. (laughs) But, but, but we want to, we want God to form us this year. And, and we begin by knowing that we live in a world that God has given us his word and not just his word, but his spirit, his very presence. He says, come to my word, listen to my voice, and I will be there in my spirit to empower you to do what I've called you to do, the purposes I've called you to live for. That's what his power comes for. If you're lacking his power in your life, ask, am I following his instructions for my life? He gives you the power of his presence by the spirit to help guide you and empower you for his purpose, to live into his purpose for your life. He does have a purpose for your life. And so, so we live in a world with a God in 2024. We're living into a year where God is still living and still active in our lives and in this world to all who listen to his voice. So for this reorientation, uh, we're going to make it simple. There's a, three things from God's word, one from the law, one from the Psalms, and one from the gospel, a command a prayer, and an invitation. And yes, this is a deviation from your bulletins, uh, say we'll be in Luke 16. I, I told Eddie last night that, uh, that I went for a walk. I felt like God changed the sermon uh, on me. Um, so I found myself uh, meditating on a few scriptures that kind of that led to this. And uh, also, to be perfectly honest, if you've read Luke 16, and you understand Luke 16, feel free to send me an email uh, to help me with that because I still don't think that I understand that parable about the dishonest manager. But by next week, uh, we'll see if we get somewhere with that. But we begin uh, today with a command, a command, uh, a command to remember. Okay, Re- you can follow along on the screen or turn to Deuteronomy 6, but we'll be in basically three passages today. It says this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you. Now, just pause here. He's talking to the people of Israel, the the, the people of the Exodus, the Exodus generation, where he's rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and he's about to deliver them into the promised land. And this word that he's giving them is not just for this generation, but as will be evident in the following words, this specifically is for subsequent generations. This is for not the generations who suffered through the wilderness and battled for Jericho and worked their way into the promised land to build its cisterns and build the houses and fill them with all that God had provided. This is for the subsequent generations of the spoiled people, okay? This is the millennials, my people, of, of the Bible, okay? I'm a millennial, so I'm allowed to say that. Thank you very much. Because listen to what it says. When the Lord brings you into that land, okay, with great and good cities that you did not build, 
and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. The, uh, from the earliest days of forming a people, God had to give the kind of commands that would guard against the people's amnesia. Amnesia. It's both a kind of theological and spiritual amnesia. It's theological amnesia because it begins with forgetting something about God, who this God is, who has brought us out of slavery, brought us out of the slavery to sin ultimately, but for the first generation, slavery in Egypt. And spiritual because it leads to that kind of forgetting, forgetting who God is, And what he has done leads to a kind of spiritual amnesia, forgetting something about ourselves. When you forget the God who saved you, you forget that you need to be saved, right? And in forgetting that, that, then you start to forget everything that really matters. You will forget that God is a provider for for all of life, not just for life, but the, the, the source of life itself, that every Every atom in this universe is dependent on the active will of God to say, be, exist. And apart from him, there's nothing. You and I, this universe is nothing plus the will of God. So to live outside of his will is to, in a sense, live into nothingness. It is to uncreate ourselves in a certain Sense. And that's what the world does. That's why the, 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 the result of sin is death. It's a, in a sense to be uncreated. It is to, to live outside of the, the life that God provides for us. He is the source of life, the source for all of life, and life in the way that Jesus described it, abundant life, abundant life. You see, God's not just the, abundant life refers to not just the, the material world, the, the outer life, but also to the inner life. God is the source of both the material world, our daily bread, in other words, but also the source of the spiritual world, our interior life, where, where we can enjoy love and joy and peace. The, the spiritual um, nature that we are constantly that we are constantly participating in, whether in love, joy, and peace, or in hatred, sorrow, and hostility. Right, But God is in that space, in the spiritual world and realm that we constantly inhabit, but we increasingly become unaware of and insensitive to as we pursue the, the, the desires of this world, as John calls them. And we can enjoy the, the things of this world if we do it in recognition of the one who provided it. Remember, the fall of mankind is described in Paul by Paul in Romans chapter 1 as they acknowledge, they failed to acknowledge God as God or give him thanks. It's not that God wants you to be an ascetic and to, you know, to move out into the desert and you know, live a miserable life. But you are to, you're called to be, in a sense, a priest 
to, to a, a priest in that you enjoy the things that God has provided in this world, and then you turn to offer them up to God to say, thank you for everything that you've given. Right? That was the original calling of human beings, and it's still our calling today as a royal priesthood to turn all that God has provided for us in his blessings of abundance, turn them into thanksgiving, get thanksgiving, a sweet aroma offered up to the Lord. And so if we don't, you know, so, so he's the provider then. He's the source of not just the material but the spiritual life that we live where we long for love, joy, and peace. So if we don't have, if we aren't living and cultivating and enjoying these qualities of life, we can't go, you know, looking for it. Uh, by following the gods of this world. That's where, how it ends. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Now, obviously, that took on a kind of physical form of idolatry that was obvious in the ancient world. But do we have gods and idols in America? Come on, right? Just use your imagination, extrapolate a little. The gods are all around us. And they are anything that people put their trust in to provide for them what only God can provide. Love, joy, and peace at the, is paramount. And so we, we need to not just enter into this world in, uh, in a pursuit of, of the healing and the wholeness of our souls, but make sure we're going directly to the source to the source of all the things that only God can provide, the one who provides both material and spiritual resources for body and soul. As Paul describes in Philippians, let all your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. See, God can change your circumstances. God can change the external world around you. But he can also give you a peace that passes understanding in the midst of circumstances that would otherwise afford no peace, right? And, and so we can cling to God himself. We can bypass all the things outside of us. Remember all those things we can't control. A lot of our angst and restlessness comes from thinking that we won't have peace until we get all those things outside of us ordered. But you don't have to depend on that for peace if you know the giver of peace himself, who is God alone, the living God. We live in its mit his midst. He is here, Emmanuel. Christmas doesn't end on Christmas, you see, right? And so, and by clinging to him, we start to become, we start to see his provision. You see, God is always providing. The question is, are we seeing it? Are we blind to it? And the more we cling to him, the more we turn first, <laughs> the beginning of our day, give us this day our daily bread. As Americans, maybe it's hard for us to pray for this because we're thinking, I'll just stop by Costco if he doesn't give it to me, right? You know? But you have to understand he's the source. He's the, the source of the, the, the rain that waters the wheat that, that grows, you know, makes the seeds grow and the sunlight. And you see, he's the source of it all. And so apart from him, there is no Costco. <laughs> So give us this day our daily bread. We, we, when we really pray like that, that turns all of our requests into thanksgiving. And then when we eat bread, whether from Costco or homemade or otherwise, we can actually, when we give thanks, we don't just do it as a ritual, but we thank you, God. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to make bread taste the way it does. 
You didn't have to make cows to make butter to make hot buttered bread so that when I eat it can taste it. You didn't have to do that. You know, it could have been all saltless, you know, hamburger, right? But we have steak and we have coarse, kosher salt. You see what I'm saying? We have reason to give thanks for bread and for steak and otherwise. But. So, right, isn't God worthy to be praised for taste buds? Thank you. I still get excited about that. Um, but but, but the, truly what happens then is if we become forgetful, we become ungrateful. And when we become ungrateful, we get spoiled. Right? We become like the generation who, who lives in great and good cities we didn't build, drink the water from cisterns that we didn't dig, and so on. And we take for granted all the things constantly being given to us by the Father of lights who gives all good gifts. And then if we forget the, the Lord who's given us everything, uh, then we become entitled. And it's not just that we're ungrateful, but then we're embittered. Right? It just, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> we, it moves from un, ingratitude to bitterness, and, uh, and, and we don't want to live like that. No one wants to be an entitled, embittered person, right? And somehow, we can end up that way. Somehow, now that we've arrived in the future, we feel like we've been formed a little bit in that way, some of us. And, uh, and, so the calling is, God, do something in us. Change something in us. Uh, lest we, you know, go after other gods to make changes for us. Looking to influencers and icons uh, to orient our pursuits. So, uh, we need to remember. We begin with remembering. And remembering what? Remembering three fundamental things. First of all, remember that you have a Lord, Right? So take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So first thing to remember is that you have a Lord. The, the, the reason the Christian confession, the confession that God's word says is paired inextricably with our salvation is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? That's what Paul says Romans did. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The reason that's our fundamental confession is that at bottom, we have to recognize that we need a Lord. The fact is not just that we have a Lord, but that we need a Lord, and a Lord that's not named me. I need a Lord of my life that's not me. You know, you know who else needs me to have a Lord of my life that's not me? My wife needs me to have a Lord of my life. That's not me. And not named her either. Thank you very much. But my kids need me to have a Lord. My family, my community, this church, all, everyone around me needs me to have a Lord, not named me so that I will follow his way into relationship with them and not my way, which can so easily be bit toward selfishness, Right? And, and it's, it's God, and it's the conviction of God, and it's the recognition that I am accountable, that my, that my life is not wide open to whatever decision I make, but it is, it is moving, narrowing to me meeting my maker. It's appointed that, here's the end, every man should die once, and then comes the judgment. 
I was just thinking this, this is free, it's not on my notes. I was just thinking though, I got in a conversation with a guy on the cruise ship last week who's an atheist, we had a great conversation. And, and I was just thinking, do you know, I, and based on some of the things that were said in the conversation, I do think there is probably some solace for an atheist to imagine that their whole life is wide open to, to a future where they are not accountable to anything that they do. That would be comforting to think that none of the words that I say or don't say, none of the things that I do or don't do, all of the things that I do or not, don't do in relationship, it is kind of comforting to imagine that none of that matters in the end. But the fact is, all of that is going to be gathered up into one moment when I will face my maker and give an account for my life. And I know that I know that I know that on that day, there will be a, a crown. If there is a crown, there will be a crown that belongs only to the master's feet. Because he has forgiven me for all the things that I've done or haven't done, said and haven't said, that I should have listened to and done under the direction of his voice and the conviction of the spirit. Right? We have to remember that we have a Lord. Our lives are accountable. And that as we take that seriously, it begins to help us live in a way that we are, as it said of of. Uh, Zachariah, that he lived his life before God, a righteous man. That we, that we live our lives before God, knowing that God is always with us and watching, not just watching, looking down, but with us, watching and guiding and helping us know how to live, what to say, how to be in this world and in relationships. And so we, we need to know, that's why we need to know not just that we have a Lord, but we need to know who our Lord is. Thank God that it's not just that we're dealing with a God, right? A, a God that's unpredictable, a God that cannot be known, a God that, that like the, the gods of ancient Greece, that was acted out of his own whims, out of his own passions and angers and so on. But we have a God that we can know. It's not just that we have a Lord, but it's, it's who the Lord is. It's the Lord who brought us out. That's how he's introduced himself. Remember, that's even how he introduced himself in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't begin with a command. They begin with an introduction. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. God's commands always begin with his grace, I brought you out, but also a personal introduction, I am the Lord. He brought us out to be in relationship, right? He didn't just come to change our circumstance, he came to step into our circumstances to be in relationship with us, and yes, then to bring us out. And so we, we get to know who this God is and we start to see his ways are not like the world's ways. He, 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 what he offers, he doesn't offer as the world offers it. As Jesus says in John chapter 10, peace I give to you, but my peace I give not as the world gives. Joy I give to you, it's not like the world, it comes out of my own life. He's not like the gods of the nations. So we don't have to put our trust in money or power or military might, the kinds of things that 
run the idolatry of the nations. We put our trust in the Lord. The Lord who brought us out. The Lord who delivered us out of slavery to sin and into the kingdom of his beloved son. We need to know not just that we have a Lord, but who he is. The Lord who is, here's what you can expect from God. Here's what you can predict about God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as the psalmist say over and over. And we're going to need his steadfast love and long-suffering and patience and grace, uh, which is why we need to remember lastly, oops, something about ourselves. Remember something about you. Remember you. Okay, the reason we need the Lord to bring us out of slavery to sin is because we're so prone to wander into it. And this is sin in the biblical definition, not in our convenient social conventions and definitions of sin. The, the, the kind of sin that involves everything from our over addiction to our covert judgments. Our, our outer behavior and our inner, the inner thoughts and secrets of our hearts by which we will be judged according to God's word. And, and, and we are prone to wander into those patterns of sin, patterns of thinking and speaking and living that harden our hearts and fracture our relationships, that make our love grow cold, Right? And, and we need to remember that of all the things we need to work on in 2024, our projects, our careers, our whatever, the thing that we always need to work on most is us. The thing you need to work on most is you. The thing I need to work on most is me. Because working on that is working on the thing, the things that we can change. And again, not focusing on all the things we can't. And so, then, a prayer. So, a command to remember and a prayer to restore. From Psalm 51. Read with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. What do we need to remember about us? What do we need to know about us? For I know my transgressions. Now, I can't speak for your transgressions, but I know my transgressions. Now, I know some of your transgressions probably, but I don't know them like I know mine. And you don't know mine like you know yours, do you? But I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Whose judgment alone is blameless? It's God's. God is blameless in his judgments. I am not. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Did you notice that the inward being in the secret heart? I thought that sounded strange as I read it earlier, but then it occurred to me, you delight in truth in the inward being in the secret heart. It's almost as if he's having to tell us there is an inward being. There is a secret heart. There is a place in you 
that only belongs to this relationship with you and God. It's that secret place the poets talked about as the secret garden. Right? There is a, there's a place in your soul where you can live in the presence of God who will hold up his word like a mirror and will tell you who you truly are, who will show you things about yourself that, that are, are, are truly illuminating in light of, of his presence, in light of what he requires. And that comes from being in his presence. Really, you can only, you can only detect certain things in your own presence by living in the presence of God. You start to become aware of your own hostility as you enter into God's presence in prayer. You, you enter into the presence of God's peace and it starts to show, up, show things in you like a, an x-ray machine. And, and so, and so you, uh, where are we? Oh my goodness, we weren't even finished here. Let's finish the passage and then we'll talk. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your word, blameless in your ju- judgment. Oh, here we are. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop. Because in your presence, I, I can see I need some purging. There's, dark, there's some darkness in me. Or there's some judgments or hostilities or unforgiveness or bitterness or p- self-pity or jealousy, or envy. There's, there are things in me, there are contaminants in me, toxins in me, and I need purged. Purge me with hyssop, and then I shall be clean. There comes a point where you recognize that you can bump up to the end of all you can do for you, and you recognize there's still much more that needs to be done. You have to do it, God. Purge me. Of, with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me. Create in me. That's do something brand new in me. Because there's something dying and growing old in there. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. The only source of this creative newness Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And here is what the prayer of restoration is really about. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then do the impossible, which is uphold within me a willing spirit. Make me willing, right? Your will, but not my will. Make me willing to do your will for you will not delight in sacrifice where I give it you will be, not be pleased with burnt offerings the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken spirit and contrite heart oh God you will not despise I just want to point out that the foundation of this restoration which we can all agree we really want that joy right to restore the joy of our salvation. The foundation of this restoration is remembering God and remembering you, right? Remembering who this God is and remembering why you need this God and not succumbing to theological and spiritual amnesia. So the foundation is remembering. 2024 is a year to not forget, okay? It is a year to remember, 
and not succumb to our amnesia. And we do this through our daily engagement with God, through word and prayer, word and spirit. Because when you remember who God is and who you are before God, your need for God, I know my transgressions, you will live a truthful life. And, and it won't be based on your truth, right? Your truth, as if you had your own little category of truth. And I had my own little category of truth. And it won't even, it won't even be based on your life. It will be based on, based on the truth of God, the truth God has revealed, and God's life that he's revealed to us. God himself offers us a true north for our life by giving us his own and calling us to follow him. Jesus is the true north. So wherever he goes, that's where we're going. That's the truth. That's, that's why the prayer begins with a recognition about self and God. Have mercy on me, O God. That's also a recognition that God's a merciful God, right? And it's kind of like... It's kind of like this level, okay? So you got to have a recognition about both God and yourself. Uh, this, is, this is a level, for those of you who don't know, four-foot level, okay? And this level has a problem. Can anybody see what the problem with this level is? It's bent. Another way to say it is this level is not level, Right? <laughs> So that's the problem with this level. I've got a level that's not level. You can actually kind of see it's not level if I put it like this, right? Or I can put it like this and rock it. Uh, it's very minute. But you know what? Over 30, 40 feet, that gets pretty crooked. That's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa kind of thing. Okay? Oh, yeah, I know. We need to get rid of that. I actually, I dropped it when I was building my treehouse, so I had to get a new, it landed on a, a big rock, and it bent it. So I don't know why I still have it. I guess for this sermon illustration, it came in handy. <clears throat> but, but that's right. So I, I, I bent this level, and uh, it's kind of unusable now, because the irony is I, I've got a level that's not level, right? And it really serves one purpose to be level and to help me have a straight line, make things plumb, make things level that I'm building. But here's the thing. It's still, what's it still called? It's a level. It's still called a level. In other words, its identity has not changed. And it's the, the, the purpose for which it exists has not changed. It just needs something outside of itself, a power outside of itself to Bend it back into place. And, well, I'm not God, so I can't do it. See, see what I'm saying? That was loud. Didn't mean for it to be that dramatic. <laughs> but the, the point is, the point is, that's what this prayer is asking. That's what this prayer is a recognition about for this restoration that I'm talking about. There are things that need to be restored in you, brought back into alignment in you to be put back together in you that you just don't have the power to do yourself, right? Because even if you can fix up your life and get your life, your external world put back together, there's still still an interior world in you that only God can put back together, right? That only God himself can, can straighten out. We need to be brought into alignment, and because, frankly, we're a little bent out of shape, aren't we? We can get that way. And, uh, and it, I'm talking about what's been out of shape. I'm talking about the attitudes of our hearts. 
I'm talking about orient, like the way we're oriented in relationships. The way we're oriented to interpreting people's motives or perceiving other people in their life, in their perception about you, your assumptions about their perception about you, or their judgments about you. These are, all, these are things in us that God wants to straighten out. Because the more we follow things that are bent out of shape in us, we will be not going north, whether we think it's north or not. We need a true north. We need, we need a, a straight line outside of ourselves to see where we're bent out of shape and be brought back into alignment. And, and to, to bend the attitudes of our heart toward grace and forgiveness and love. And to have bent in us, those attitudes bent in us the way they are bent toward us in Christ. Right? How, how did Christ show his atti- the attitude of his heart to be bent toward us at the cross? He was, he was hell-bent on forgiveness, ironically, on grace, on loving us. And, and that's the straight line that we need to be brought into alignment with, of course. So, and so perhaps the best evidence of being out of alignment is a lack of joy. Isn't it odd the, the, the thing that he asks him to restore is joy? That if, there's, if there is an alignment, perhaps we could expect 2024 to actually be a year full of joy. I wonder if there are people who, I mean, you're just praying for, you're just praying to stay up on your bills, much less to pray for joy or to pray for abundance, to abundant life. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm talking about, as the sermon was supposed to be called, being rich toward God of the treasures that moth and rust can't destroy. Joy, I believe, comes out of an orientation toward relationships. Relationships with others, but that flows out of a recognition of God's relationship toward us in Jesus Christ. Restore to me what? Not just joy. The joy of your salvation. You see, recognizing God's grace toward us is the key to living in the flow of that grace. Grace was never just intended to be given to you. It was, and it is given to you. But it's also intended to be given through you, to overflow through you and in in your life. This provision of grace for you is also for the world, as 1 John says. He died not just for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And we're the ones given the burden and responsibility to bear witness to that. How else could you bear witness to that except by living graciously toward others as we proclaim the one who has offered his grace to them all? Then I will teach you, hence, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. Then and only then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You see, this is how we live in the flow of grace. Receive, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore that joy that comes through the funnel of your grace to me and then it will flow through me. And others, sinners, transgressors will return to you so that my life in turning to you will become a resource by which others will return to you. So then 
this moves us. The prayer to restore the joy of God's salvation then moves us in the direction of the invitation. Of the invitation. It's an invitation to rejoice. You want to know God's will for your life? Right? Is this a mystery that you've pondered? Is this something that you've puzzled over, over, and over, and over? Well, this puts it in a concrete way and yet a universal way for all of us. Void of all of the particulars that we don't know what God has for us. But we can know always this is God's will for our life. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. This. This is it. That's pretty simple. I mean, we can do that. We may not want to do that all the time, but we can do it. There's no mystery here. This is doable. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So from a command to remember, to a prayer to restore, to this invitation to rejoice as this overflow of all God has done. The gospel's, this is an invitation to, to enter into the joy of the master. This is as Jesus describes it in Matthew 23. The invitation to rejoice is an invitation to receive joy. Right? You, you can't rejoice without something to rejoice over. But we are invited by the gospel to rejoice. And, and isn't it refreshingly simple? If, if we're looking again to an orientation to 2024, what is God's will uh, for, for my life in 2024? We don't have to be paralyzed not knowing what God wants from us or for us. We don't have to be paralyzed in discerning God's will. Th- these aren't specific constructions and require specific circumstances to fulfill about this or that objective. These are instructions about how to reform the patterns of thinking and speaking and living in our life. This is how we work on us. This is how we are transformed in 2024. See, God's will for your life is first, not first about what he's calling you to do. It's first about the kind of person he's making you to be. And that's what this is about. This is the will of God for your life, that that we would live in patterns of thinking and speaking and behaving that would actually form the kind of person that we are becoming so that in whatever circumstance, we'll we'll have a kind of internal consistency to carry us from glory to glory as we move through this world and head toward our maker. And this is the pattern. This is how we snowball in a cultivation of grace and joy. And so uh, it ultimately comes, you can think of it in, so how, so how do we cultivate joy? That's what I'm asking as we, as we move to wrap up here. We can do two things. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. See, first, recognize praying continually, it's, it's not, I mean, what does that mean? Do we literally, we're going to like be running into walls if we pray, if like we think about prayer often in our culture. But you can only pray continually if, if, if prayer is something more like a constant and open communion with God. It, 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 you can only pray continually if what Paul is saying is you have a God who is constantly available to you. Always available to you. Always there for you. You never have to be alone in Jesus Christ. 
He is always here for you. Lo, I am with you always, and even to the end of the age. He is always with us. So yes, pray ceaselessly that God is available in every moment to be called upon, to find mercy and grace, to help in time of need, and just to be in relationship with. God wants to be your, not just your judge, but he's your father and he's even your friend. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but you know what the master's doing. I now call you friends. He wants that kind of relationship with you, conversational relationship with you. So God, it, God so remembering God leads to being mindful of God, that he's always with us. And being in communication with God. So it's not just about, you know, praying, like bowing your head, closing your eyes. It's this recognition that thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, there's unbroken communion between me and my maker. Between us and our Father. And, and this is true at all times that God as a source of life and resource for life is always here in Christ by the Spirit. It's again that, I'm going to move on. Uh, yeah, it's that passage I quoted for. Be, I quoted before that that let your requests be made known to God in all things. I guess I am not skipping it. So rejoice and always again. I say rejoice. He says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, God can change your circumstances in 2024 to be more joyful and more peaceful, but he can also just provide it directly. Remember that. And, and you, can't, you don't have to depend on this or that circumstance to have joy, to have peace in your life. It's not like the world gives. It's peace that passes understanding. And then to th- uh, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, the Stoics were right when they pointed out that the condition of our soul, you know, the... the How's your soul doing? They were right to point out that the condition of our soul, whether peaceful, joyful, or otherwise, isn't based on events that happen to us. Or not even our reaction to events necessarily, but based on our judgments about those events. Marcus Aurelius said, if any external thing causes you distress, it is not the thing itself that troubles you, but your own judgment about it. And this, you have the power to change. He was right about that. It's not whether you got the job, but your judgment about whether you got the job, right? It, it, it could be gratitude about whether you get, got it or not. It could be a, a, a sense of hopefulness that God has something better in store. Or, or it could be arrogance and pride that you got it or bitterness and self-pity that you didn't, Right? You see, it's, it's, not the, it's not what your spouse said or what your spouse did or didn't do. It's your judgment about it, right? It's, the judgment, it's our judgment about all these things outside of us that happen that determine the condition of our soul in so many ways. And in my judgment about who did what or didn't do what, my judgment about events and about people, I should add. And, uh, and, and that's because those, out of those judgments will come my patterns of thinking, of speaking, of behaving, my patterns of relationship, and, and, and that in turn forms my soul. And what if this is just an invitation for us to, to 
allow God's judgment to be the measure of this world. And to join into God's judgment as he judged the world from the very beginning. He saw all that was made and behold, very good. It was very good. Now that's not saying call everything that's evil good. It's saying that God is still doing good things in this world in 2024. And if you only listen to the news of our headlines all around us, you will be deceived to think that God is doing nothing new. But if you listen to the good news of Jesus Christ, you are listening to the news that makes all things new. In fact, it's the only news that's truly new because it's the only news that never grows old. And it's news that can make you new to the degree you believe it, to the degree you embrace not only this Lord that we have, but the Lord who has revealed himself, the kind of Lord he is, who is gracious to us and compassionate toward us. You remember that God, and that starts to change who you are, and it starts to change your relationships and your homes and your families and communities, and that has a ripple effect till Jesus comes back in the advancement of God's kingdom. And so the invitation then perhaps is, Whatever is true, truly true, true north true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, there are so many things not worthy of praise. Think on these things. Think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard in Jesus Christ, think on these things And the God of peace will be with you. So as we turn toward 2024 to build this year together. And this this is our season. This is our time on earth. Our time in history. And we have this year to face together. We We are called then to not just remember our God. But to pray to him to restore all that's lost. Restore ultimately a joy that only he can provide. And, and then, of course, an invitation to rejoice. And if you have run out of things to rejoice in this morning, the beautiful thing is that you can always return to this one fact. When the world is stripped away, when all you have is lost, yet still Jesus Christ has come and he has offered you the forgiveness of your sins and the redemption of your bodies through the sacrifice of the cross and the promise of resurrection. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat it and do it to remember me. Don't forget. Do this so that you will remember me. In the same way, after he had given thanks, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the sins of many. Drink this so you remember me. So that you remember the Lord who brought you out of slavery to sin. Pray with me. Lord of the church, you who were full were emptied so that we who are empty could be made full. You who was whole was broken so that we who are broken could be made whole. Lord, I pray that as we come to your table to remember you, to do this in remembrance of you, as we remember your life 
I pray that you would piece back together ours, that you would fill ours up with the newness and the abundant life that only you can give. We pray, Lord, for a refreshing and a restoration of your spirit and your, the joy of your salvation today. In this moment, may we remember as we come to receive the elements this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I, as we're singing, I was just thinking, I love thinking of this next year as an invitation, as an invitation, and not only an invitation to rejoice, an invitation to joy, but if you can hear it all just summed up in a word, I think the invitation is in 2024, it's not to try, it's not to try harder, it's to draw nearer to the God who is drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. He's here. He's with you. Now go with him wherever you go. Amen? Amen.